ultimately what we want to create is um, this idea of movement, physical activity being a part of life. Um, so it's not something that you go and do. Um, it's just who you are. Um, and, and everything can come from that. Opportunity comes from that. Um, skill, movement skill comes from that. Um, and a lot of our programs, we've taken that idea and we've, we're designing environments that give kids the opportunity just to explore movement. You're listening to the NZPE TeacherCast, a podcast sharing some of the inspirational stories from amazing teachers and educators within New Zealand and around the world. Today's episode is sponsored by Sports Strapping New Zealand, online strapping courses designed by a physiotherapist to help everyday people learn the basics of simple strapping techniques for injury management. With practical strapping videos and automated quizzing, Sports Strapping New Zealand is here to equip you with the knowledge to help others. Check it out now at sportstrapping.co.nz. Kia ora everyone and welcome to episode 35 of the NZPE TeacherCast. Today's guest doesn't really need much of an introduction and to be honest, he is one of the most requested individuals that people ask to have on this podcast. Dr. Craig Harrison and I, and it does feel super weird calling him doctor, actually have quite a, quite a history together, but I'll delve into that later in the episode. Craig is probably most well known among my audience for his fantastic podcast, The Athlete Development Show, which has a, a wide variety of guests and focuses on Digging deep into a youth athlete world that is more demanding and competitive than ever ever before. And as good as his podcast is, I would confidently wager that Craig is most proud of the work he is doing with our youth and leads a group of passionate individuals out of AUT focusing on helping coaches, teachers and young athletes to be the best they can be. So Craig, welcome to the podcast. Kia ora Carl. It's, uh, it's nice to be on mate. I'm looking forward to having a chat. Before we before we get started, can you tell us a little bit about your educational background and experience and a few tidbits about the workplace uh, where you find yourself and the students you interact with? Well, I grew up in Mount Albert. I was a mags boy, uh, very local to the school. Uh, so going way back, I uh, spent my time kicking around the suburbs of, of Auckland, Central, and uh, they've changed a lot since. I went back there fairly recently to hit up my German teacher, who was a bit of a mentor coming through my time at Mags, and uh, still teaching 45 years later. Uh, amazing guy. Uh, the school's changed a lot, uh, but loved my time there. And and I uh, was sitting in seventh form about halfway through, and Heath Mills, he was my teacher at the time, he said, what are you, you going to do next year, Craig? And I had no idea. He said, oh, I, I had a pretty good time down in Dunedin. You should you know, scoot down there and hit up some physical education. So I, that's where I went. Um, so I jumped on a plane, uh, ended my seventh form year and spent, ended up spending six, just over six years in Dunners, uh, which was a magic time. Did the physical education degree, which was four years, and then jumped straight into a master's. Um, got along really well with one of my undergrad lecturers and he convinced me that a master's was a good idea and I was having a ball uh, at the time, so jumped into it with him, uh, and we looked at 
some warm-up protocol for middle distance running. So very much exercise physiology and, and, and how it played out. Uh, so I did a couple of years doing that um, and then uh, met my now wife and followed her back to Auckland um, and then, yeah, kicked around uh, doing a, a number of different things for a while and 2010 uh, jumped back into some more education and, and ended up doing a PhD, which is where uh, my passion for the youth athlete industry really came from. So, uh, I mean, I'm not sure how you want to dig into that, if at all, uh, Carl. And I mean, now I'm spending my time across two different roles. Uh, the first one is very practical. Uh, I'm based out of AU2 Millennium, which is the high-performance sport facility on the North Shore, and I direct our youth athlete development programs. Um, so we it started with a small program in the morning uh, back in 2004, long before I turned up. Um, and it was really fundamental movement skill based. Um, so I jumped in and, and that was part of my PhD was to actually run that program. And uh, that sort of transpired into a full-time job. So I continued to run it and I explored it, convinced my boss, Mike Stanley at the time that um, it was worthy of a full-time role. And uh, that actually um, for it to be justified required us to really expand. So we started, um, having some relationship with the local schools, doing some work in, in their sporting programs, um, very much from a physical and mental skills development point of view. Um, and then uh, that sort of continued to expand. I've uh, got into some research, some education, and um, now I've got a research fellow role with AUT University, which sees me supervising uh, the present time six PhDs and a master's student. And that's uh, very much uh, amongst the youth athlete development scene. It sounds like you have uh, quite a big workload on you. What what stood out for me and what you just mentioned there was that relationship that you had with that teacher and that they had the suggestion that they had a really great time in Dunedin and that you should consider going down there and you actually and you actually um, took them up and, and I guess it's a like a um, a great start to, I, I guess, that transition from secondary into, into tertiary and having that backing and that support from a, a teacher who had the foresight to say, hey, maybe you'd, you'd get a kick out of this. I think that's a pretty cool story. Yeah, Mr. Mills, Heath, I've actually spent some time with him recently. Uh, he's part of the, the Players Cricket. He leads the Cricket Players Association. Um, really fascinating guy. And I remember clearly sitting outside the class um, for often up to 20 minutes, he was just renowned for being late to class. So I'm not sure whether that was the reason that I liked PE or not. But um, <laughs> So we used to just chill out and finally he'd roll up, um, oblivion to the fact that he was late. Um, but we, we always just used to sit in class and if we weren't being active in the gym, then we'd be uh, in the classroom talking about sport, um, often off topic, but uh, it was just a great place to be. Nice. He, he sounds like a good dude. Is he still there now? Uh, no, he, he, he. I think he was there for a year or so after I left, and then um, eventually changed uh, changed career. And, and like I said, he's he's with the Cricket Players Association now, um, so looking after oh, okay. a lot of our, our top cricketers. 
Can you can you tell our audience about your fantastic podcast, the Athlete Development Show? I know a lot of a lot of people who listen to my podcast also listen to yours. So, do you want to, um, for those who don't know about it, do you want to fill us in? Yeah, absolutely. Um, firstly, thanks so much for the uh, kind words earlier on in the, in the intro about the show. It is one of my favorite things that I get to do as part of my role, uh, and it it really came about from being a bit of a, a podcast fan, um, I got into them probably four or five years ago. Um, and all of a sudden the radio went off in the car and I, I plugged the earphones in and that was, that was my thing. Um, I used to consume them, um, you know, like top athletes do water. And it was just an, an incredible journey, really. I started to listen to all sorts of podcasts um, outside of my industry, in the industry, and it was just a, such a great vehicle for understanding information that I could then go and use in my practice. So I listened to a lot and I talked about starting one for a long time uh, with my colleagues. And they were all um, pretty keen on the idea. They thought it would be a good thing to do. And, and eventually um, I got around to doing it. Um, I guess I was somewhat uh, afraid, I guess, uh, about what it was actually going to take to pull it all together. Um, but as it transpired, it was it was relatively easy. And, and, and one of my colleagues is very kind to, to do a lot of the editing. So it saves me a bit of time. But the, the podcast, the idea behind the podcast was very much to, to get out there and chat to people in the industry initially. Um, and I didn't have much of a plan for it at all. Uh, I just literally hit up a few of the people that were in my circles and sat down for a chat. Um, and, and right from the outset, I knew that this was going to be something that I was going to get a lot from. Um, and I chose pretty early on to go, um, to hit it from two sort of angles, um, very much a, a personal angle in terms of where my guests had come from, uh, which is why uh, you get a lot of the backstory of their childhood for two reasons, really. I'm a, I'm a big fan of understanding where people have come from. I think their backstory is incredibly important when it when it comes to understanding where they are now um so that so you yeah you, as i said you, you hear a lot of that of that in the in the show um and i think on top of that the questions about the professional side of my guests always go better uh, when we get to chat a little bit about who they are um and so that's that's why we spend. I mean, some of the some of the shows are upwards of an hour, and, and the first half hour oftentimes is is about their childhood, um, getting to know them, where they came from, and and what inspired them to do the things they do. Um, and, and most of the guests had sport as part of their backstory, so it's always interesting to understand um, how they got into the sport, the types of experiences they had as a kid, um, who their significant adults were that, that influenced and mentored their, their journey. Um, and, and off that, then, as I said, then we get into some of the professional side of, of what they're up to. And, and often that jumps back into um, some of their backstory. So, um, I mean, there's, it's, it's a bit of a, and, and I guess I'm, I'm happy to, to be pretty transparent about it. It's quite a selfish endeavor. Um, well, it was at least from the start. Um, for me to to learn um, i'm a i'm a massive fan of of learning as much as i can so i can i can use that in what i do day to day um, so it was a, it was a opportunity for me to hit up people and 
request an hour of their time for a chat. Um, and so I'm, I'm stoked that people are enjoying it and getting a lot out of it because I, I know I do personally. Um, and the stories that I hear, I think, are very um, practical and usable for people to take away. And, and I guess if there's one goal in the show, it's to it's for that is to go, okay, this is, here are some of the stories um, that not only, um, you know, athletes have, have been on, uh, there's a, a number of, of good athletes, top athletes on the show, but also just people that, that love being with kids, working with young people, students, um, athletes, um, and letting people into their lives a little bit and, um, and hopefully learning something that they can take back to their own worlds and use to, to help them to level up and, and be better at what they do. Yeah, I, I like your approach. And I, I really feel if you, uh, I think it's important, important to establish that relationship, particularly if you're going to uh, build a narrative around, I, I guess, what drives them in, in their particular area of specialty. I think if you want to tell a good story, you build that relationship and you build that narrative and you get to know a little bit more about them and then that, that's going to grow as that as that episode progresses and I get, really get a, a strong feel for that and I think it's I think we were talking a little bit before we before the show and um, you and I both have some really similar um, experiences you know we we're, we're mentioning our kids are very similar age we um, shortly I'll talk about how we we met back when we were junior athletes uh, we started a, a podcast pretty much at the same time um, although you're a little bit more consistent with yours. Um, I think you're, you're about episode 52 now, I think. Is that right? Yeah, we're at 52. I think we, we yeah. released that one uh, yesterday and I've got a whole bunch more on the bank uh, to come out soon. So they, they typically come out each week. Um, so yeah, I've, I've had a good run. and But I understand, you know, that the, the certain times of the li of your life where it's uh, it's hard to stay on top and, and being a teacher, mate. I, yeah, I think it's... it's it's something that only a, a podcaster would know the challenges of, of getting that bank together so you can just relax and and cruise. But, you know, like yourself, I, I probably started for selfish reasons. And for me, it was um, around the business that I launched at the time. And, and I saw it as a, an opportunity to get some, first of all, like you mentioned, um, being able to learn a little bit from people within my circle and my industry. And I also did it for a little bit of the, the free marketing that came with it and that um, building that, I guess, authority in that area. But I, I quickly learned that after three or four or five episodes, this started becoming one of the highlights of my week, meeting these people and sitting down and hearing what drove them to do what they did and being able to provide, I guess, a platform for them to share that story. It became quite addictive. Um, and like yourself, it mine grew out of a passion for consuming audio. Um, I do a lot of training during the week and I found that I would listen to podcasts while I was at the gym and it was good learning and it was just got into a good routine. So I think starting the podcast was kind of the next step for me and it's been a, it's been a tough journey. It's been a, a good learning for me, but um, I, I think it's worthwhile and I really like the stuff that you're doing with yours. Um, you've had some fantastic guests. Um, I love that you got Jane on. Um, I haven't listened to the episode yet, but um, it will be. Uh, I'll be loading it up while I'm doing bench press, maybe later on in the week. So, um, <laughs> yeah, it's going to be fun. The Jane was awesome. Um, I think when I first contacted her, it came out of the blue a little bit. Um, 
and she wasn't she hadn't heard the show before and uh she was a little bit sort of uneasy around how it was going to roll but i assured her that uh it would be worthwhile and she'd enjoy her time and uh we had a we had a awesome time great chat and as i said learned a lot um so she's a fantastic educator I, I really want to focus on youth development during this episode. Um, and as I've alluded to, you and I go, go way back to, to junior athletics where we competed um, at Oaraka Athletics Club in Auckland. And you were this um, fantastic sprinter. Uh, 400 metres, you were like unstoppable and you always wasted me. And I think we even won, um, I think we even won a couple of relay titles or, or we, we got some medals competing. I remember it was myself, it was you, but it was Andrew. Um, and it was a really fantastic part of my life and, and athletics ended up becoming a big part of my life as I grew up. But what were some of the, the driving factors for you to participate in sport? <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's an interesting question to reflect on, really. Um, and, and these are the types of questions that I always ask my guests, but it's, it's now the, the tables have turned um and which which is cool and i think why i sport was was a big part of my life um not so much from my parents side i mean they they both were engaged in sport growing up right through uh, but in particular my my nan uh, she was a a top track and field athlete she was a hurdler uh, funnily enough she qualified for the Commonwealth Games. I'm just trying to remember the year, but it was it was a while ago. Uh, but she ended up getting pregnant and and, and didn't go. Um, and so she was she had she had the speed. And I think uh, what we know about um, inheriting genetics for sport and speed is always a big part of that. So I was fast, um, and that gave me a a huge advantage in the sports that I did. Um, so athletics. Um, I could run fast. And back then, everything was based around being fast. Even the 400, even the 800, the fastest kid won. Um, and so being fast allowed me to get success. Um, and and that sort of compounded over time. Um, and I had great experiences, and so I kept doing it. Uh, and I, I started playing football. Early on, uh, my brother played, so I, I just followed him down to the club. And again, I was quick, so I could run around people. Um, and I think that, that again, gave me a massive advantage. And, and I played right to the end of my secondary school years. Um, again, had some really good success, um, played in all sorts of positions. But um, as a striker, I could, I could chase a through ball reasonably well um, again run around people um, scored a lot of goals and then and then I could play in the back line as well um, and I could keep up and so I think being fast was something that um, allowed me to have great success um, which is why I, I keep doing it yeah that's um I, I like that transition from uh see I, I wasn't aware of we because we haven't been in touch for the last I guess 25 years really to be honest yes. when I when I it's moved out of out of Auckland um I, I didn't know your story beyond this super fast dude at on our cinder track gee I just remember that cinder track like people these days kids these days would have no idea what a cinder track is and 
I, I remember, I can still smell it when I think about it. It was that rubber track and it had just the stones and your spikes would wear down, you know, in a week you'd have to change your spikes. Um, but there was that. And so hearing, hearing how you progress through that is really interesting. And um, it's nice to hear that you, you took that success and, and that speed development and you applied it in other sports, which was, which was really cool. Um, have you been back to that track recently? It's, it's an, it's an artificial now, isn't it? Yeah, not, not for a long time. I've, I've driven past it, but I haven't really stopped to go and check it out. Um, but yeah, th those memories of, of black feet, um, and taking them <laughs> home after every Tuesday night, uh, club, club night, uh, are, are pretty fresh when I think about them. Um, and, and those spikes that worn down, um, I think I was pretty lazy in how often I, I changed them. So I ended up running on, on what we, what were originally spikes, but, um, what ended up being blanks <laughs> across nubs, my old yeah, spike. <laughs> yeah. So, um, it, it was, yeah, it was a, it was just an amazing time to, to turn up and, um, and hang out with some some good people and try and run as fast as we can. There's, I mean, there's something about the, the rawness of track and field that I love and I'm still attracted to. Uh, we get a lot of athletes up at AUT Millennium, uh, you know, best in their class around track and field, and, and it's it's just you against, you know, the clock. Um, and it's it's something that's always been a big part of my life and I think always will. Yeah. Are your are your kids participating? Are they old enough to do athletics yet? <laughs> no, they're doing nothing uh, at this point. Um, so this is always a question I get: is you know what 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 are your kids up to? What are you going to get them in uh, into? And and when are you going to start? And, and a number of different angled questions. And they're doing nothing. We spend a hell of a lot of time out in nature playing exploring um so they're, they're swinging and they're jumping and they're rotating and they're they're doing a lot of movement um and then i've got a a, a big bucket of balls and uh what have you in the garage um so there's a, they've always got opportunity to go and do things if they want but no there's nothing structured in their lives yet um mm -hmm. and that's something that uh, anna and i think very um well, we have an interesting take on it. I think I'm very much at one end of the spectrum um, and maybe because of what I do, I, I tend to, to push down one side rather than, um, you know, looking at trying to get into a whole bunch of things too early on. Um, and so, yeah, there's, there's definitely sports in my mind um, that, I, that I hope to give my kids an opportunity to go and explore. Um, and, and that may be something that we do. Isaac will be five in September. So next year, potentially, we, we might check a few things out. Mm. I, I bet that would be a fascinating um, discussion to sit on to with um, your, yourself, with your with your research background and, and the, all that knowledge you have in that area. And then um, your wife, who, who was an elite athlete, and the, the values that... Uh, she has around sport and then bringing in your wee ones into those discussions and deciding where that focus is going to be, if there's going to be one. And I, I found as before I became a parent, I had all these, I had all these checklists and this is what I'd like to do. And it'd be cool to be able to do this. But when you become a parent, it, you throw all of that out the window and your priorities change and your views definitely change. Um, 
And I, I guess I think with my kids, it's kind of really at the moment, it's just what they're interested in and we're not forcing them down any path. Um, like yourself, I have some, some things that I would like them to do, but at this point it's just um, focusing on getting outside and playing on their skateboards and they get swimming lessons and gymnastics at the moment. That's about the only structure they have, but um, yeah, it's, that things definitely change when you become a parent. It's, it's super interesting, mate. Like I, I think about this all the time um, for obvious reasons. And there's this side of me that says we know opportunity is, is the leading gateway into sport. Um, and so they're only going to pick up things that they see um, or they, they experience, um, you know, their environment is very dictatorial of what they're going to do. Um, and so there's on one hand, there's this, um, side of me saying, well, you need to give them the opportunity um, in the first place for them to pick anything up. Um, and then the other side is saying, well, once they have the opportunity, I'm really cautious of it getting overstructured really soon um, in their in their journey. Um, and so it's for me, it's trying to balance the the opportunities that I can provide as a dad um, and as parents with Anna, um, and at the same time make sure that. It's their decision um, and they get the opportunity to explore whatever they, they walk into. Um, so that is, that is a challenge. Um, and I think it's, it's just something that is constantly in the back of my mind is going, okay, well, we need, we need to take them down. The, if, if football is something that I think would be a good experience, at some point we need to walk through that door. Um, so if life-saving, I think, is a, is a great opportunity and where we live, um, you know, eight minutes drive from Murawai Beach and they've got a great little program. Uh, so that's something that I'd like to um, give them the opportunity to experience. Uh, but like I said, you know, once, once they step in into that experience, then things can change based on the environment that, that, uh, that they get themselves into. How do you find, because you're obviously, you've been a super competitive athlete. How do you, how do you manage that competitive nature? And I, I find it myself. I, I see my daughter at swimming and she gets bumped up a class and I get really proud and I want her to be successful. And I see her in her new class and she's not as confident as the other kids. And I, I kind of feel I have to hold myself back from going, Oh, you know, maybe she just needs a couple of more swimming experiences during the week and she can be up with those kids there how do you manage that being a um being a former competitive athlete with, with the way you parent do you do you do you have those similar struggles i think i think it's part of parenting um it's always there uh, i mean i when you talk about competitiveness in reflection of my sporting journey I don't actually think I was the ultimate competitor. Um, I love to play. I love to be around people that, you know, were passionate about what they did. Um, but if I could, if I were to compare myself to some of my guests on the show, on, on my podcast that come on and talk about making it to the top, they talk about this red line that they can always, they're right on or just over. Um, and often that comes out of a really competitive childhood, like an older brother, for example, that, you know, was always pushing them to the limit and, and the younger brother was always wanting to step up and prove himself, um, you know, or a dad that, that provided an environment that, um, was not overbearing, but just very encouraging. Um, so there was all of these, 
these factors in these in these guys' lives um, that drove them to be a really competitive person. And and then at the same time, I think there's uh, I think it's somewhat genetic um, this this idea of competitiveness or a competitive nature. Uh, I, I don't actually think I had that. Um, and and like I said, looking back, that was one of the pieces that led me to be a good junior, but it didn't go too much further. Um, and I mean, I could talk about this for a long, t- long time if you want to get into it, but uh, I had, like I had speed, um, I, I developed early, which is something that I look at um, constantly in my practice currently. And so things came pretty easy. Um, and so as I got older and, and everyone actually caught up, um, I think there was this piece of me that wasn't overly competitive. I was just quite happy to go out there and enjoy the experience. And if um, someone got the better of me, then then so be it, right? And um, I'd still enjoy my time, but I, I wasn't the type of athlete that would just dig in and, you know, turn the dial up um, and be the one that would always come out no matter what. That that actually wasn't me. Um, so it's an interesting question, but I, I when I look at, at what I do with my kids, I'm going back to your question. Um, I'm quite happy not to roll with the crowds. Um, it, it tends to be how I leave my, live, live my professional life and, and also uh, my social life. So um, I've never been one to be, to be, you know, trying to keep up with the Joneses or, or whatnot. So, it, and I mean, it's, it's, comes with an understanding of sport as well um so i know that and i've seen it uh, you know a hell of a lot uh you know kids will kids will find their own way um we can't we we just can't we can't control it we just have to give them their opportunity um and they're going to write their own story Um, which means as a parent um, you know I, i just need to provide um that environment that that nourishing environment and the support and the and the you know, the love when they come home and the rest of it's up to them. They'll figure it out. Mm. Mm. At what stage did you, um, did you just know deep down that working in the area of youth development was something that you wanted to do? Not until about halfway through my PhD. Um, so coming out of my master's, I was very much typical of your post-grad sports science student. I I wanted high-performance sport that was where I wanted to be. Um, and we get a lot of those, those students coming through our program. Uh, they see it as a stepping stone into high performance sport. You know, I want to work with the best. I want to travel the world. I want to, you know, I want to be in the mix, um, of what it is to, to be a high performance provider of support. Um, and, and I, I spent some time doing that. Um, and there was this piece of me that said, yeah, but we're getting athletes that are missing pieces to their puzzle. Um, and, and spending a lot of time on the couch with Anna. And I, I always say like where I've learned the most about helping athletes to pursue their, their best is actually in conversation with Anna, um, about what works and what doesn't, whether it's a strength and conditioning coach or a, or, or the, the actual coach of the team or the nutritionist or, or whatever the case may be. Um, and so there, there was this time where I was like, oh, I like it. Um, but I don't think it's going to be what I'm going to do forever. And then I had this piece of me that wanted to get back into education, uh, like I said, in 2010. Um, 
so I went and, and hit up one of my what, a guy that I knew and um, at AUT University, and and he nothing was there at the time, and and I was actually very lucky. About a month later, he emailed me and said, "Oh, there's this PhD come up. Are you interested?" Um, so I went and had a chat and applied and and got the position. Um, and it, and it was working with kids at the time. I I did kids. My own kids weren't in my life. Um, I hadn't spent a lot of time coaching kids or, um, you know, educating them at all. So it was a bit of an, an unknown step for me, to be honest. Um, all I wanted to do was to pursue more education. And so uh, the PhD journey was was really fascinating. I um, the, All of the conditions were that it had to be working with young people. Um, and so I was looking at aerobic fitness, the development of aerobic fitness um, in in young athletes. And that turned out to be 11, 12, 13-year-old boys. Um, so I, I got amongst a whole bunch of groups um, and all, all of a sudden started seeing how I could help um, and starting to add some of these pieces that I'd seen weren't quite there and some of the elites that had, had come through our programs. Uh, and sort of fell in love with the idea of helping young people to to actually fill their basket and, and to, to master the fundamentals. Um, and so, yeah, the PhD as it transpired um, went really well, um, got through that, and then and then the position that I still currently hold, um, and really saw it as an opportunity to to have an impact. Um, I guess you know. Ever since then, that's that's what I've been trying to do. You mentioned that when you were working with some of these elite athletes, when that was your uh, your focus, your priority. You mentioned that you were seeing athletes, and they had these; they were missing pieces of the puzzle. What what was the most common piece that you saw missing from the groups that you were working with? There was a couple of pieces. The first was this uh, athletic piece um, where. Athletes were breaking down, um, and that was really frustrating for them. Um, and so, young young athletes, you know, late teens, early twenties, making teams, but weren't able to really put their best out on the court or on the field or whatever the case may be, because they were back in the gym trying to rehab an injury. Um, and we know, you know, injury is one of the most frustrating thing for for people involved in sport is when you can't play the game. So, so there was this just this really um, lack of time working on some of these fundamental physical pieces that now I know underpin their sport-specific skill. Um, and so if we're trying to teach in a, a netballer, for example, how to dodge or how to catch a ball and land on one foot and, and turn 180 degrees and pass it, then there's certain physical competencies that they're going to need to allow them to do that. So I, I saw coaches trying to coach sports-specific skills without um, the athletes actually being able to do them, not because they didn't understand the drill, but because they weren't actually physically capable to do it. Um, and, and it's still happening, you know, hugely today, um, both at both at the elite level, although I think that's getting better, um, but very much in youth sport. Um, it, it's it's a big part of, of what kids are experiencing. So that, that was one. Uh, and then the other one was just around um, turning up every day and putting their best out there. Um, so it was a, it was a, I know who I am and I know what I need in order to be my best. 
Um, and so, I mean, you, you can drill right down into some of the specific competencies. There was a lack of self-awareness. There was, um, you know, a lack of confidence. There was a piece around, pr you know, pressure and not being able to perform at their best. Um, so I was seeing these things, but I wasn't necessarily understanding why, um, which really led me into a whole bunch of self-education that I've done over the last five, six, seven years is to try and get a handle on some of these things so that we can start them young. Because uh, I'm a massive believer in these things, are, they need to be fundamental to what young people are doing, um, whether it's sport that they want to pursue or not. Um, so, so I think that was that was the opportunity, that was the exciting part of working with young people is, is to actually start providing some of these pieces, um, engaging it in their learning system so that they can work on it over time rather than it trying to be force-fed at a later date. Um, and I think that's something that you still see in, in, in higher levels of sport is, oh, we've got a problem now. We need to give them this competency or the skill. Uh, and it's, you know, you're well aware, mate, like learning, right? Like mm -hmm. picking up something new takes time and it, it, there's so many nuances around what needs to be done. And it's, it's not necessarily something you can just, you know, pick up and, and put into the puzzle and expect it to to roll out without any issues. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you, you've painted a really good picture of what those elite athletes, what they look like when they're with you and, and those pieces of the puzzle that, that they are missing. And you've kind of touched on this next bit a little, but the type of athlete you encounter now through your athlete development Academy, what could you, could you paint a picture of, of those students coming through and, I guess more specifically too, the the sort of outcomes you focus on now as opposed to what you might have been focusing on when you worked with elite athletes? We have a range of, of kids in our program uh, and that one of the misconceptions around what we do is it's for the elite. Um, firstly, I, I think the term elite or the, the, is, is a complete misconception in, young, with, in youth sport. Um, you know, there's no such thing. There's just a whole bunch of, young people that are at a particular point in their development. And sometimes that may mean that they can go out there and perform better than others, but it, it, it just doesn't correlate to elite performance. And so the, the athletes, um, the student athletes, the kids um, that come into our programs are hugely varied. Uh, so that might be, you know, the, the captain of the first 15, um, it might be, a young kid who's just picked up a sport and loves to play, um, you know, and, and everything in between. So what we do is we just provide an opportunity um, and that can, that's mainly around the athletic and the, and the mental development of um, what they do. Um, and we do that in a, in a program that runs out of AUT Millennium. That's our academy program that, uh, before school. Um, it's that's, that's been, the mainstay of, of what we've done for a long time um, and kids turn up um, and either train with us two or three times a week. And we've had retention is really good in that program. We've had, um, you know, the longest standing athlete in that program was seven and a half years. And she turned, she turned up when she was nine and, and left when she left high school and, um, 
uh, was playing football and, and ended up getting a, a scholarship to a college in the US. Um, so all sorts, mate. I, I think that's part of the beauty of what we do is we get to work with all types of kids um, and, like I said, give them that opportunity and see them grow. Uh, so within within that morning program, we get we get a lot of kids coming in um, that tend to be locals. Um, it's hard to logistically, it's hard to get there in the morning, which is one of the barriers. Uh, but on top of that, we we go out to a number of different schools in the greater Auckland area, um, and we integrate into into their programs, whether that's their academy or their institute or their, what, their sports class. Um, we, we do stuff with PE students as well um, that come through our doors and have experiences in our sports science lab or in some of the other classes that we run for them. Um, so it's, it's varied, which is why um, it keeps it interesting. Yeah, a lot of the, a lot of the videos... I, I see on on the website and and a lot of the stuff that you share, both from a professional perspective and and a personal perspective, it seems that there's this a, a, a greater emphasis on just movement as opposed to say sporting skills and and the development around that. Would that be correct? Absolutely. That's um, that's the underpinning piece. That's the big boulder in what we do is around. Um, their physical competencies, um, which if we can really help them to develop, then when they go out there into their sports-specific environments, whether that's rugby, football, netball, um, soccer, Muay Thai, BMX, whatever it is they, they do, that we can help them to learn faster um, and, and ultimately achieve more. So so movement and movement's a really funny one, right? I think that's one of the hardest things that we have to do is describe what that actually is. Um, and and particularly with, with the parents um, and, and even with some of the, the coaches is, is understanding movement is, a, is quite a nuanced area. Um, and so... It's, it's breaking those barriers down, trying to find some common language um, so that people actually understand what, what it is that we do. I mean, we can talk about speed. We can talk about strength, which, which is a big part of it as well. Um, but it's that ability to move with precision, uh, with power, with accuracy within their sporting environments. That That's really what we're trying to, trying to do for these kids. So you, you mentioned that um, that one athlete who had been in the program for a, a significant amount of time, and she she went on to um, gain a college scholarship. Is is that's not something? Yeah, that's not an outcome that you're particularly focused on, is it? Though that's that's just a I guess a happy byproduct of what you do. Absolutely. I, well, one thing we have done is we've we've described what it is that we're trying to achieve. Um, so most of we don't have any anyone older than into high school in our programs, um, and our niche is very much sort of nine, ten through sixteen. It's that really sensitive period of early adolescence and into mid adolescence, um, and so we look at what we're trying to build. Um, and you know, terms like autonomous, adaptable, skilled, skilled from a movement um, point of view, uh, confident. Um, those are the types of things that that we highlight as being outcomes for us, and then we we've regressed that back to um, the inception point for our programs, which is typically um, 
eight, nine years of age, although I have, we've got a PhD student now in primary schools, which has been a really interesting addition. Um, I'm, I'm loving some of the ideas that we've been throwing around the office um, with him. He's um, doing some really cool things. It's, it's early days. And so, like I said, that's it's trying to work towards um, what we see as being the the gold standard traits, skills, competencies in an athlete of, you know, end of high school age um, to then give them opportunity. And I think if, if there's one way of describing what we, what we do, it's trying to give kids the opportunity and, and the choice to decide what it is that where they want to go next um, so that they're not necessarily limited by anything. I like that. I like that. And I'm, and I'm shortly, I'm going to touch on, on some stuff that happens within secondary school, particularly focused around physical education. But I think that's, that's a great outcome to have. I, I, I like how you use the word regressed in there. And that's, that's not, not a, a term you hear often when you're talking, having a discussion about outcomes with somebody and how you, those goalposts might change, but being prepared and willing to change them to, um, fit the the vision and what you're trying to uh, trying to achieve um, with your students, but yeah, I find in schools it gets and like I mentioned, I'm going to ask this question later, but it gets so driven and focused on winning, um, and it's and it's really frustrating. But it, it's so ingrained now, even with our students and and not a sporting setting, but a physical education setting. It just seems to be all about winning and who's going to win and who's going to perform the best, which is then going to allow them to win. And I find it to be really frustrating as a physical educator. Mm. Yeah. I I mean, (laughs) that's one of the, one of the things that comes up in pretty much every conversation that I'm having out in community these days is, uh, is this winning at all costs type of attitude. Um, but you know what? Like, I think it's, I can understand it. Um, it's, it's clear. It, the outcome is there. It's, and if you look at sport, um, you know, the commercialization of sport, if you look at anything that's on our TVs, then that's what's promoted. Um, and so we're, we're trying to then say, well, no, but that's not what it's about in youth sport. Um, and we're also trying to say, well, that's not actually how they get there. You know, you look at the ABs and they're out there. And um, if anyone, you know, thought anything other than they're out there to win, then then they'd be wrong because that's the outcome, but the approach they take is completely different. Um, and so I think the challenge for us is to try and describe the way to get to the outcome um, because... Th- that is what sport is about. Um, and if you, the only way to get rid of that is to take away the score, um, which if you do that, then it's no longer sport. Um, I mean, there's, there's definitely environments I think you can create in training and at, at different levels in order to, to grow the, the student athletes learning, um, to provide good in, environments for change. But at the end of the day, like we do actually want to go out there and compete and we do want to, we do want to put our first fa- first fifteen against another school just down the road because that's really good for kids. Um, and it's, I mean, it's what I grew up on. It's what you grew up on, right? And mm-hmm. we had so much pleasure out of going into an environment and competing. 
Um, so it's really trying to understand how we can create environments that provide um, people, young people with the ability to, to level up in some of the skills that actually result in, in going out there and putting their best foot forward. And, and if that ends up winning, then, then that's great. Yeah, that, this, this leads on well to my next question. Um, so I've got my, my daughter, she's turning five in October and I've got a son who's, who's about to turn three in a, in a couple of months. Um, when I think about them growing and developing, um, and I guess in, in sport and physical activity and, and that's what we, we talked about those environmental influences and those factors. And my wife and I, we very much are two physical people. What do you think is the best thing that I can do for them to foster a healthy relationship with that sport and physical activity, but as well as ensure the best possible development for them? Because we, you know, we've touched on some of those societal issues and some of those pressures that they're bound to face. But when it comes down to it, if they can have just a positive and a healthy relationship with sport and physical activity, I'll be happy. So how, how do you think, what's the best approach to foster that? There's a couple of things that come to mind. I think the first one is leading by example. Um, and you've mentioned that you and your wife already do that. Uh, and there's some really nice research um, that came out of the US that looked at the involvement of, of particularly mums um, and how the example that they were setting was really influential on their kids in a good way. So that they were going out every day and they were doing some sort of physical activity, uh, whether that was walking or um, some running or, you know, something in, in the garage around some resistance work. Or, there's a whole bunch of different things that you can turn to. Uh, and they compared that to typically what, what the dad did. Um, and he was more inclined to go for a ride with the boys on Wednesday or to play some social touch or to just turn up for social football on the Saturday. Um, and I think ultimately what we want to create is um, this idea of movement, physical activity being a part of life. Um, so it's not something that you go and do. Um, it's just who you are. Um, and, and everything can come from that opportunity comes from that um, skill movement skill comes from that. Um, and a lot of our programs, we've taken that idea and we've, we're designing environments that give kids the opportunity just to explore movement. Um, and we, I mean, I grew up doing that on my own. I grew up in the backyard. I grew up in the cul-de-sac riding my bikes. I was, you know, balancing along the neighbor's fence on the way to school. I was kicking cans against the gutter doing all these things and at the same time i was you know training my brain that this is the way you move um and in order to solve that problem i've got to figure out how best to do it um and and now you know what we're seeing is is not only are kids getting less of that um, so there's less happening in the backyard um this incidental movement um you know is one way of thinking about it but we're putting them into teams really young and, and we're structuring what they're doing um, and we're being very directive around what, they sh what that should look like. So I, I think is providing an environment that is, is really movement rich is, is the best thing that we can do for our younger kids um, is to, we call it 
you know, increasing their repertoire of movement um, so that when they do find themselves in a particular situation that they have to draw on a skill or they have to solve a particular problem, it's like going into the back catalogs and pulling out the answer and then, um, you know, allowing the brain to put the puzzle together and, and solving the problem. So I think that providing opportunity, providing huge variation in what our young kids are doing. Um, and I mean, we, we drive that right down to this, the, the specifics around the types of movement that we want to see. Um, but, I, but, you know, you don't need to be there. You just need, I think, just understanding that lots of variation um, is good and just the opportunity. So present it. Um, maybe show your kids what it is that it might look like, but but don't necessarily instruct. Just let them go and do. Um, and and to give you an example, I spend a lot of time at playgrounds with my kids these days, and and just watching. Um, and so the the playgrounds is a great opportunity just to go and learn um, to explore. So as a parent, just go and sit there. Um, and, and so don't help them up the monkey gym. Don't help them along. Um, you know, don't stand at the bottom of the slide, making sure they don't fall in the mud. All of these things is, is stuff that they need to figure out on their own. And, and if they're not ready, then you just got to go back tomorrow. Because if you do that enough, eventually they'll make the decision to walk towards taking that on. Um, so I think not only is that great from a physical point of view, they're, they're going to learn these skills, but they're also going to start making these decisions and walking towards something that, that is harder for them to actually achieve in their own time. Um, so, so these are the types of things that I think we need to be thinking more about for our sort of zero through 10 year olds. I like that. Uh, I, I really like that. And the next time I'm at the park with my family and I'm sitting there doing nothing and my wife starts nagging at me, I'm going to say, Dr. Harrison said that I should just let them work it out for themselves. So I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll leave that one with, with her. 